Hey, uh, I think we've established in the last few weeks that the Bible is an unusual book. Uh, there's, there's nothing else like it. It's more than a religious document. It's more than a handbook for Christians, more than an ancient writ recording events and teachings of historical figures. The Bible is the Word of God. Can you say amen to that this morning? We believe it's God-breathed. We believe that it's the inspired Word of God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. It didn't come by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We've been working our way through ten unpreached sermons. The series was inspired by a gal named Chara Donahue, who wrote an article by that same name, Ten Unpreached Sermons. I've preached the sermons in the order that she listed them. I've used the titles that she provided. And and as I began the series, as I looked over these ten unpreached sermons, this week, week six, was one that caught my eye. I wondered where it would take us. Our text today is found in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, number 6 in our 10-part series. It's called The Bald Man's Bears. It all takes place sometime after the prophet Elijah was taken up into heaven in dramatic fashion in a flaming chariot. And his sidekick and mentee, Elisha, is left to carry on the ministry. we got Elijah and Elisha. As if it isn't confusing enough. (laughs) But let me sum up the story, and then I'll read it. Elisha goes to Bethel, and he's walking along the road. Some boys come out of the town and make fun of his balding head. It's actually in the Bible. Elisha did not take kindly to this. He called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two female bears come out of the woods and maul 42 boys to death. We'll see you next week. Thank you. God bless you. (laughs) Here's what it says in the King James. He went up thence from Bethel, And as he was going up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him, saying unto him, Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. He turned back, looked on them, cursed them in the name of the Lord. There came forth two she-bears out of the woods and tear forty and two children of them. And then this is my favorite verse in the whole thing, verse 25. And then he went to Mount Carmel and over to Samaria. Just another day at the office for Elisha. Go up, thou bald head. Before we get too deep into this, I want to give you ten reasons it's good to be bald. Number ten. Of the ten reasons it's good to be bald, some of you are really interested in this. Number ten. Being bald really brings out your eyes. Number nine, your hair can never be used as forensic evidence against you. I watch CSI. 
Number eight, for you, there's no such thing as a bad hair day. Number seven, no one can pull your hair in a fight. Number six, you're instantly, if you're bald, you're instantly part of a brotherhood. Number five, it creates the illusion of self-confidence. Number four, rainwater beads up, wipes right off. Again, the top ten reasons it's good to be bald. Number three, the average person spends ten minutes a day brushing and combing hair. For you, that's a saving, savings of two days per year. Number two, you're significantly more aerodynamic than the average guy. And the number one reason it's good to be bald, the chicks dig it. Here's how the Living Bible tells the story. From Jericho, he went to Bethel, and as he was walking along the road, a gang of young men, different terminology now, a gang of young men from the city began mocking and making fun of him because of his bald head. He turned around and cursed them in the name of the Lord. Two female bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of them. Then he went to Mount Carmel and finally to Samaria. Go up, thou bald head. Go up may have been a reference to Elijah, now gone. It may have been a way of saying, we want you gone too. It must have been uh, an unsettling situation for Elisha, if you picture this. 42 young people suddenly running after him and taunting him. It, it, It must have been intimidating. There are implications that this was an organized gathering. Perhaps paid protesters. The word bald may actually, this is interesting, the word bald may actually be a term of contempt used even for people with hair along the lines of uh, uh, being called empty-headed or brainless. There's also some debate about the age of the disrespectful youth. We kind of are left to assume they're children, but the word used in the text is the same word used to describe a 28-year-old Isaac and a 39-year-old Joseph. One thing is certain, it's not simply innocuous humor or harmless mischief. This was an affront to God and his spokesman, the prophet Elisha. Had the curse been pronounced based merely on the poor disposition of Elisha, he's just in a bad mood, surely it would have come to naught. Proverbs 26.2 says, As the bird by wandering and the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. Just because someone says it doesn't mean it happens. Elisha did not have the power on his own to summon bears out of the woods to maul children. So was it an accident? Was it a coincidence? Or was it an act of divine judgment? The curse spoken by Elisha may in fact have been declaratory of what God was already about to do. And and that actually is the role of the prophet. We want to picture prophets sitting around a table 
predicting the future. But in reality, they simply speak forth the Word of God. That's what a prophet does. Now, what exactly was happening here, I'm not sure. There's a reason it's one of the ten unpreached sermons. But in the words of Mark Twain, it ain't the parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. And this I know. In Old Testament times, the prophets were the Word of God. Hear me, church? The prophets were the Word of God. The prophets were the foretelling, not the foretelling, but the foretelling of the heart and of the message of God. They spoke forth the Word of God. The people did not have another resource to draw from. There was no written word. There was no library of, of Bibles that they could hearken to. The prophets spoke the Word of God. Most of us have a, have a shelf somewhere with Bibles piled high. We have a hundred different versions and commentaries and study guides and devotionals. The people of ancient times did not have such an advantage. They had the word of the prophets, which in effect was the word of God. That's why prophets were held in such high esteem. Deuteronomy 18, and, and it's why they were held to such a high standard as well. Deuteronomy 18.20 says the prophet which shall, shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. The prophet was trusted to speak forth the word of the Lord. To ridicule the prophet, then, was akin to blasphemy. This was disrespecting the Word of God. And this was serious business. Leviticus 24.15 says, Thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curses his God shall bear his sin. And he that blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well as the stranger. And he that's born in the land, when he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. Now that may be exactly what was happening with the young people here in, in 2 Kings. They were disrespecting God. They were, in effect, cursing God. And to disrespect God's prophet, and to disrespect God's word, was and is serious business. So, so how do we disrespect God's word today? Let me give you five ways that we disrespect God's Word. This will be my sermon for this morning. Five ways we disrespect God's Word. Number one, by neglecting it. It's been said, the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. If someone hates you, at least there's passion and, and feeling involved. I can live with that. But when someone just doesn't care, there isn't much to do. When we neglect the Word of God, church, 
When we neglect the Word of God and it, and it sits on our shelf or on our coffee table day after day, week after week, when, when we don't ponder God's Word, when we don't meditate on God's Word, when it has no impact and no influence on our life, then that is the ultimate disrespect possible. God is, think of this, God is trying to speak into our lives and we simply ignore it. It would be much better to be wrestling with the Word of God, questioning the Word of God, debating the Word of God. Hey, at least you care. At least there's some passion. But to simply think of it as insignificant and inconsequential is the greatest act of disrespect that you can show the most important document ever compiled. By neglecting it, we disrespect it. We also disrespect God's Word by not standing up for it. If someone's bullying someone else and we do nothing, then we're complicit in the act. If someone is drowning or bleeding to death, we have a moral obligation to do what we can do to help. Well, what about when someone disparages the Holy Scriptures? How are we to react and what should we do? Do we defend the Bible? Are we, are we willing to stand up for the central document around which our faith revolves? Are we equipped to defend the Bible? Are we willing to pay the price that may come with defending the Word of God? Young people in college school, adults in the workplace, in the neighborhood, are you willing to pay the price that comes with defending the Word of God? Listen, there are not a lot of hills that I'm willing to die on. There are not a lot of causes that I trust enough to go down with. But I'll go to my grave defending God's Word. I'll go to my grave defending the truth of God's Word. The Word of God is our anchor that provides our stability. It's our compass for direction. It's our plumb line for reference. The Bible is our manual for information. It's our textbook for instruction. Our rule book for order. It's spiritual nourishment. It's living water to quench our thirsting souls. It's our hope in time of need. It's our strength in weakness. It's our shelter in the time of storm. The Bible, church, is the one place we know for sure that every time that what we are hearing is from God. We disrespect God. We dishonor God. We blaspheme God when we are not among the defenders of His Word. Another way we disrespect God's Word is by not rightly dividing it. We fail to rightly divide the Word of Truth when we use it to prove our point instead of aligning our views with it. Abraham Lincoln said, Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greater concern is to be on God's side. For God is always right. Is this on? I think I would have said amen if I was sitting out there. And so it is with the Word of God. We align ourselves with it 
rather than cherry-picking verses to prove our point. All too often, we look at a passage and we say, what does it say to you? That's not the question. You understand that, church? There was a speech given recently at, at an awards show. You know, the, the Oscars, the Emmys, the AMAs, the UVUs, the I don't know what they are. I, I, and I don't know how anyone watches this stuff. I, I, I don't know how anyone watches this garbage. It's the most self-ingratiating example of self-aggrandizement I've ever seen. But I digress. Our speech giver went on to say, be sure to voice your truth. There is no your truth. There's only the truth. And the same is true with the Bible. When you, when you read Scripture, think in these terms. What does it say? That speaks of the words, the text. Second, what does it mean? That speaks of the exegesis. That speaks of correctly interpreting what the words say. And finally, three, what does it mean to me? What's the application? So there's what it says, there's what it means, and then there's how what it says and means apply to my life. You understand the difference? And it's important that we answer those questions in that order. Otherwise, we can read the verse that says God is love and decide that it means there is no hell. But this is a, a perversion of the Scriptures. To pervert, by the way, means to twist. And there are plenty of Scripture twisters out there. And that's disrespecting God's Word. Not rightly dividing the Word of truth is serious business. So, so how do we disrespect the, God, the Bible nowadays? By neglecting it, first of all. By not standing up for it. Second, number three, by not rightly dividing it. And number four, by not giving it proper place in your life. The Bible should be our absolute rule of faith and conduct. Can you say amen to that? If, 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 it, if it says in the Bible that people who live in Superior should only wear one sock, then we only wear one sock. Because the, the Word of God is our rule of faith and conduct. If the Bible has proper place in our life, then what does that look like? This, this isn't rocket science. Number one, we read it daily. Now, I know there's certain personality types out there when I say that, they say, what if I miss a day? First of all, it's not, it's not legalism, right? It's not uh, a law. But if it's, if it's the Word of God, and if, it's, and if it has the proper place in my life, then I read it daily. Number two, we live by it. So number one, we read it daily. Number two, we live by it. We let it determine. Now, now think about this. I, I know that's so non-revolutionary that it just blows right by you. I understand. But think about it. If, if it has the proper place in our life, 
then we live by it. It, it, it. We let it determine how we live. We let it determine how we talk. We let it determine who we marry, how we vote, how we raise our kids, how we treat others, how we spend our money. The Bible is the determining factor, church, in how we live our lives. If it says that we give 10% of our income to the local church, then we tithe. If it, if it says that we're not to be unequally yoked, then we do not date an unbeliever. If it says to raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, then so be it. If it says to help the downtrodden and to give to the poor, then that's what we need to do. If it says love your neighbor, then we love our neighbor. Period. If it says honor your father and mother, guess what? We honor our parents. If it says be a good employee, then we work hard on the job. It's the Word of God. It's God-breathed. It's the inspired Word of God. What place should it have in our life? If we really believe it's the Word of God, if we really believe that, then it has to be front and center. If we really believe it's the Word of God, then it must be first and foremost. If we believe the Bible is the Word of God, then we have to base our life on it. We cannot treat it casually. We cannot treat it nonchalantly. We must stand in reverence of it. We must hold it in the highest esteem. We have to give it the place of honor in our home and in our heart. We must give the Bible its rightful place in our lives. Now we can also disrespect the Word by diluting it. We often include the Bible among our resources. We water it down with our other sayings and our, and our other doctrines. We, we put other books on par with it so that it's not the source, it's just a source. I see people on the Book of Faces who one day quote from the Bible and the next day they quote from some Zen master or some New Age guru. They dilute the Bible with all of the world's philosophies and all of the traditions of men. What an epic tragedy to merely count the Bible as just another book. What a tragedy to consider Christianity just another religion. It's to miss out on the power available as we place our faith in the greatest document ever compiled. It's not simply a book. It's the living word. It's the source and the fountainhead of faith itself. The book of Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. We need to be careful that we don't disrespect the Bible. You cannot dilute it. We cannot water it down. It's pure and it's unadulterated. It's holy and it's infallible. It's the life-changing power of God found right here in the Holy Bible, the Word of God. To dilute it is a tragedy of epic proportion. The Bible stands alone just as it is. It certainly doesn't need me. It doesn't need my pathetic illustrations doesn't need my foolish jokes or my lame stories. doesn't need my ill-conceived Ill metaphors, my inadequate allegories. It's the Word of God, and it stands on its own. Amen. 
The story of the 42 men who, young men who mocked Elisha is a sobering reminder that God's prophets were not to be trifled with. We understand the prophets of the Old Testament were the word of God prior to the printed word. In New Testament times, we're, we're blessed to have the Bible. We're blessed to be able to hold it in our hands. He's, he has inspired holy men of old to put it down on paper. But it's still not to be trifled with. How do we disrespect God's word? By neglecting it. Come on, man. Come on, church. It's Christianity 101. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. There is no shortcut. There is no app you can download that puts all the information and inspiration. Into. Read your Bible. Carve out some time to read your Bible. Christianity 101. Read your Bible. If you're not reading your Bible, you're neglecting it. And that's the ultimate disrespect that you can show it. Number two, by not standing up for it. How do we disrespect it? By not standing up for it. Number three, by not rightly dividing it. It's not what it means to you. It's what it means. Know the difference. Number four, by not giving it proper place in your life as our rule of faith and conduct. This is what determines how we live our lives. And number five, by diluting it. The bald man's bears. I tell you, if you're struggling as a Christian, if you're struggling as a Christian, if you can't get over the proverbial hump as a Christian, Maybe somehow you're disrespecting the Word of God. Maybe that's a place to take a look. From Jericho, he went to Bethel. As he was walking down the road, a gang of young men from the city began mocking him, making fun of him because of his bald head. Turned around and cursed them in the name of the Lord. Two female bears came out of the woods, tore 42 of them. Then he went to Mount Carmel. Then he went to Samaria. Listen. The Word of God is not to be trifled with. Would you do me a favor? Would you take your Bible in your hand? Maybe you use your phone. That Hey, I have no problem with that. Hold your phone in your hand. There's Bibles on the, on the rack in the, under the seats in front of you. I want you to hold your Bible. Hold a Bible. Your phone represents your Bible in your hand. Hold it up in the air. Hold it high. Right? We're giving it the rightful place in our life. Listen, if we want to be difference makers in our family, if we want to be difference makers in our community, if we want to be difference makers in our neighborhood, on the job, in the world, we've got Thailand represented here, if we want to be difference makers around the world, then this is the key right here. Apart from this, we got nothing. We got nothing. It's our point of reference. It's our hope and our strength. How many times have you read the Bible and it's as though God knew exactly where you were today? It comes to life.
Lord, we just thank you for your word today. I think of how scarce it was in ancient times. Lord, I've heard the stories of missionaries where they would bring Bibles to where they had no printed word and the people would clamor for a piece of the Bible. Biblios, Biblios, Biblios. They just wanted a piece of the Bible that they could take home and read. We've got piles of Bibles on our shelves collecting dust. Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive us for disrespecting your word. And maybe it takes a story like this that feels silly to us to remind us that your word is not to be trifled with. It's serious business. Serious business. And so, Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We confess that there's times we've disrespected it. We've diluted it. We've put, it. we've put other things on par with it. We've failed to rightly divide it. We've read Scripture through our own lens of interpretation. We've failed to stand up for it. Maybe it was in the workplace. Maybe it was at school. Maybe it was in the neighborhood. Maybe it was around the, the family table. We failed to stand up for the Word and say, uh-uh, uh-uh. That's a hill I'm willing to die on. I'll go down with the word of God. So Lord, we thank you for today. Pray that you'd forgive us. Pray that even in this moment, we would begin to renew our commitment to the word of God. That it wouldn't just be something that would take up space on our shelf. Become our rule of faith and conduct. It would determine how we live. We'd read it every day. Does that mean it's legalistic? We miss a day. We're terrible. We, re, we, we rebuke the lies of the enemy. We just stand in the truth of God's word. But if we're to live by it, we have to know it. If we're going to know it, we have to read it. Christianity 101. Lord, speak to our hearts today about your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You put your hands down. One, one more thought. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. What a great day it would be to give your life to Jesus. And that's all found in here. Faith comes from hearing, the Bible says, and hearing from the Word of God. And the Bible says this. It says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means you're a sinner. It means I'm a sinner. God loved you so much that even though you deserved the punishment that's in the law, the Bible says the soul that sins shall surely die. And that's where we all were. But God sent His only begotten Son into the world to pay that price for us. He died on a cross. His blood was shed. He died in our place. And then in John 1.12, it says, To as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God. Sometimes people think that everybody's a child of God. Well, we're all children of God. It's a lie from the pit of hell. That's somebody interpreting it through their own lens. That's not what it says. What it says is, To as many as receive him, 
He gives the power to become a child of God. You have to become a child of God. If you've never done that, you can do that today. How do you do that? You confess your sin. Lord, I'm a sinner. I fall short. I have no hope of salvation in and of myself. My only hope is Jesus. I will give my life to him. And I'll begin to live by his word. You repent of your sin. Live for him. He will never let you down. I didn't say it'd be easy. But he will never, ever let you down. Lord, I pray for the the folks today that are here. And maybe there's someone here that's never given their life to Jesus. Lord, I pray that today would be that day. They would say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've lived my own life. I recognize today there's there's more. I want to begin to live for you. I confess my sin. I repent, which means I turn from my sin. And I choose to live by your word. Lord, for the one that prays that prayer, I pray that you'd make him new in this moment. They'd leave here changed, refreshed, born again, as it says in John chapter 3. I give you thanks for it. In the precious and wonderful name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Let's stand and worship this.